as we were worshiping, I kind of went back and forth. Lord, do we just run with this? Do I step into what you laid on my heart for this week? And, and I really feel like that, uh, that what happened this morning is kind of set up where I wanted to go. But I'm going to do a hybrid here. So I don't want our worship team to wander too far. We're going to come back into this, and we're going to get back into worship. But I want you to, I want you to picture, I want you to picture, well, you guys don't have to stay up here, but just stay close by. <laughs> but I want you to picture what happened this morning and the presence of God that we feel this morning. And I think in a few moments, when you hear what the Lord laid on my heart, you'll see how that they fit together. Because... What's happening during worship, what happened during this time, during our altar time, sits up exactly what I'm talking about. I believe, it is no mistake, I want everybody to hear me, I say this with every bit of conviction that I can muster, I want you to hear me this morning. What is happening this morning, what happened last week is the beginning of what God is doing in this church and in his church. And it's going to continue as we continue to seek, as we continue to press in. We're going to continue to feel his presence and these things are going to happen. And I think today's message is just right in line with that. So given today's message, the title, Claiming Victory. How many know that it's high time that we quit just going along? And like I spoke about a few weeks back saying, someday this is going to happen. Someday that's going to happen. I think it's time as children of the living God, we begin to stand up and we begin to claim victory. We begin to lay hold of what's available for us. How many have ever taken a trip on an airplane before you've flown here or flown there, and somewhere along the way, you suffered lost luggage. You may ever have that happen? I'll never forget there was, there was one year we got, uh, Kim and I, this was several years, quite a few years back, before we were even part of this church, we got, a, we got an invite to go and to teach at a conference in Mexico and uh, we really suffered for Jesus that week because we, we were put up in a hotel in Playa del Carmen. I mean, just it, we were roughing it. Literally two blocks from the beach. Weather was beautiful. And so, but we're going and they're doing this conference and, and, I, and we're supposed to be teaching classes and, and workshops and things and, and churches from, from all over Mexico were coming to this place. It was going to be like a retreat getaway for them. And we were speaking and teaching and, and, and going through, hey, my friend, <laughs> going through, uh, going through, just going through this process of teaching and, and, um, and it was just a great time to be a part of through an interpreter and all this stuff. And, and um, we get there and I realized that there's some missing luggage. Now, I want you to picture this. I'm supposed to be pre, uh, speaking and preaching and teaching at this conference. And all of a sudden, we realize that my garment bag that had all of my nicer clothes in it was nowhere to be found. I had my other luggage that had my shorts and my swim trunk and my t-shirts and all this stuff. And here I am supposed to speak. 
And so we decided, well, we're in, we're in a town. There's all these shops and stores. I'll just go buy a, a pair of pants or something. Try to find long slacks in Playa del Carmen. I discovered it is not possible. I finally bought a, a, a pair of these black longer beach pants that had the little tie string. So I'm teaching wearing that the whole time. I mean, that was it. The one pair of pants I had that I could do this with. It was an interesting time. But what about times, you know, there's times we've all missed luggage. But what about the times when there's baggage that is left over? Have you ever been at the airport and you, and you walk away and there's like one or two bags that are just going round and round Around. So what happens to the lost luggage? Well, it turns out that the airlines are required to hold on to it for a period of time. But then after that, they have to, because they have so much of it, they have to do something with it. There's actually a business in Scottsboro, Alabama, that literally the name of it is Unclaimed Baggage. And they take all this baggage and they sell it. And you would not believe the stuff that is left behind that nobody claims. Literally, this, this particular store sells over one million items a year. And I thought about that. These items of value that were never claimed despite being held for the rightful owner for all this time. As I thought about that, what are some of the unclaimed victories, the unclaimed blessings that for whatever reason we leave behind, the things that are there that we never even touch? 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says this, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that. We have a leg up. We have access to to victory. But I just, as I thought about this whole thought, I began to think about this whole idea. Can you imagine, and I don't know if there's a physical place or not, but just humor me for a moment. But can you imagine in heaven the place where all the unclaimed blessings and all the unclaimed victories are laying there and they're ready and they were available for somebody, but somebody never took possession of them. Somebody never called out. Somebody never laid hold of them and brought them into existence in their life by faith and by prayer. And just, can you imagine how huge that would be? Can you imagine what it would be like if you lived through your whole life and you suffered and you struggled and you made it into heaven by the skin of your teeth, so to speak. And all of a sudden you realize when you get there, all the things that could have been yours, but for whatever reason, you never laid claim to them. I thought about that. I thought about the blessing claim. You know, when something's left behind on an airplane and, and it's missing, you get the joy of walking to that little desk that's over by the luggage claim and filling out the little form and beginning to explain exactly what they're looking for and so forth. And you may or may not get it. You have to put down what hotel you're staying in, all this stuff, and hopefully it shows up. I've had moments that that's happened, and I've had moments that, like that bag, there was nowhere to be found. But can you imagine when we take that first step 
Can you imagine when you get off the plane, what do you do? You immediately, once you step off the plane, you begin, okay, where, especially if it's an airport you've never been into, where's baggage claim? And you're walking around and you're trying to find it. And when you get there, what's the first thing you do? He's like, I want to get there. I want to beat everybody else there because I want to get in the right spot. I don't know about you, but I like to be just past the little chute where it all comes out. So when I see mine, I can grab it pretty quick and get out of there. But there's nothing like, we all, what do we all do it? When you do that, you get there and you look and you stand there and you look and you're standing there by the chute and you're just waiting with anticipation. You know exactly what you're looking for. You know exactly, you know all your stuff. But how many know there's always that one piece of luggage that you're like, you know, if I lose some of the other, I can survive, but there's that one bag I got to have. And you're waiting with anticipation. You're waiting for it to come down the chute and you're, and you're looking for it and you're looking for it. And when it finally slides down, you're like, whoo. I got it. And there's relief. What about that feeling when it never shows up? What about that feeling when you're watching all of a sudden what was a rush of bags coming, coming out slows down to a trickle of one here. Then there's nothing. Then a little bit later, there's another one that comes back. And you realize, oh my goodness, my key piece of baggage is not there. It's a sinking feeling. But imagine the blessing claim. Imagine a heavenly version of that. I want you to think about that for just a moment. When we stand there in life and, and we're standing there, we're waiting for God to move on our behalf and we're waiting for him to step in and to do something that we desire for him to do in our life and we're longing for it, we're desiring for it, and we're looking for it. And we see other people, groups of people that stand there, and man, it's like all their stuff comes in and comes down and it hits right there and they get it and they're all happy and they go off all full of joy because they got all their stuff and you're still there waiting. It's not much fun when all of a sudden you realize that there's some key pieces missing. What do we want to do? Well, an airline, you go and you complain, you fill out a little form. How many, know, how many of you have ever, in a sense, gone to the complaint department with God? We all do it. Come on, raise your hands. Right? There's some blessing, there's something we're praying for, and it hasn't quite happened, and, and we want to complain, and we want to blame God. But you know what? Is God really to blame? So I thought about that. I thought of an old-time term that I haven't heard in a long, long time. And if some of you, if you're from a, from a kind of an old-time, full gospel background, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. Get under the spout where the glory comes out. <laughs> I remember some old timers, you know, just kind of, you know, God's moving and he's doing things. Oh, come on, people, get under the spout where the glory's coming out. <laughs> you know, we wouldn't say it like that. But I can't tell you how often I hear people say, why doesn't God move like that today? Could it be that we're not calling out to God and waiting on the answer like they did back in the day? We're not as patient. And we tend to expect from God what we're not willing to put in the time for. I'm going to say that again. Many times... We're expecting the God to do something and to send that blessing and to touch our lives. So we're not really willing to put in the time 
for him to do that. There is something about getting on your face before God. So I thought about that. I immediately thought of James 4, 2, and 3. And it kind of fits our times today. It says you lust and you do not have. You murder and you covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. That you may spend it on your pleasures. You know, we look around today and we see all the stories of the moves of God of the past. And we're left and we're waiting and we're wanting more. And we're standing there asking, God, where's ours? But we don't wait like they used to. We don't pray like they used to. Let me tell you a little secret about that garment bag that we were missing. Guess what we realized? We left it at home and never checked it into the baggage. And I thought about that. Think about that for a moment. You can't expect the blessing to come that you never check in. We want God to bless us. We want him to move. But if we never check into his presence, if we never pursue him, and we never really get after him, allowing him to work in us, how can we expect the blessing? Jeremiah 33, 2 and through says, Thus says the Lord who made it. And when he's talking about making it, he's talking about they made it all. The Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. I don't know about you, but I want God to show me some things I don't know. I I want him to help me understand my relationship with him better than what I know. I want him to help me to understand my relationship with other people better than what I know. I want him to help me to understand my finances better than I know. Help me to see my finances from his kingdom perspective. And I want him to show me the wonders of his glory. One of my favorite passages in scripture is when Moses is having that meeting up on top of the mountain with God himself. And with this conversation, this time together, and I love the one request that he makes. Lord, show me your glory. God answered that prayer. I don't know about you, but I often wonder what would it be like to be, not only be where he was, but to be hiding in the cleft of the rock and God to pass right, I mean, God himself pass right by you and he covers your eyes with his own hand as he passes by and you get to see literally from the back as he passes. What a moment. No wonder when Moses left the mountaintop, his face glowed. The clue is right here. He says, call to me. Prayer is the answer. And the sad thing is, it's one of the least used tools that we have. 
Prayer is where we go to claim our victory. Prayer is where we go to claim our, our, our answers and our blessings. I'm not talking about some off-the-wall, name-it-claim-it thing. I'm talking about there is something about when we press in and we, and we reach and let, we let God get a hold of us. You see, it's never fun to realize when you're missing something. But the scripture tells us that there is a power in persistence. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus is telling the parable and he talks about the persistent widow that kept going to the judge again and again and again. And even though he wasn't a righteous judge, even though he was a judge that seemed to be kind of on the take, how that he said, but her pers- in her persistence, she eventually got justice. And then Jesus says, how much more will your father in heaven respond to you. You know, there is something about praying until he answers. There is something about laying hold of that. See, I love, think about Daniel. We're talking about somebody with a prayer lifestyle. Can you imagine being in Daniel's shoes when King Nebuchadnezzar comes along and says, guys, I've had a dream. I want an interpretation to my dream. And in the process, you've got to tell me what my dream was. And he called together all of his, his sorcerers and his astrologers and all his, his magicians and all those people together. And, 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 and he said, you know, you've got to do this. And said, basically, if you don't, I'm going to chop you to pieces and I'm going to burn your houses down. Literally, that's what it says. Talk about pressure. You know, you might could fake your way through a a bogus interpretation of a dream, but you're not going to fake your way through when you don't even know what the dream was. Nobody can answer. They begin to go through, and finally the king says, okay, that's it. I'm following through on what I said. I was serious about this, guys. And they go, and they get in. And so these, these guards come, and they round up Daniel, and he's like, what in the world's going on? What, what did I do? Why am I about to be executed here? And Daniel finally, when he was told what was going on, he said, give me a little time. What did he do? He went and prayed. He got on his face before God and God gave him the dream and the interpretation and God used it to do an incredible thing. See, answered prayer is one of the most glorious, exciting experiences we can have. It builds your faith. And guess what? It's much less stressful than trying to figure it out on your own. I mean, if, you, if you're someone that really prays, I can't tell you the number of times I have prayed some specific things. And it's not like God has to do what I say, but it's incredible when you pray something and it's a situation that you pray something specific and he comes through and in a matter of time, sometimes in very short order, he answers it down to the detail of what you prayed. Talk about a faith builder. Then the next time a problem comes along, it's like, well, the same God that did it here, here, and here is going to show up and he's going to do it in my circumstance now. And you have a little more confidence to pray, a little more boldness. But the truth is we spend such little time in prayer. 
Mark 12, 30 says this. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. This is the first commandment. Now, how many know it's pretty easy to look at that and say, how in the world am I going to love him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and all my strength? Let's look. I kind of look at this. I remembered an illustration that I heard. Let's talk about our loving. Let's talk about all of our strength. Little boy, his family bought some property and they had a nice sized backyard with some some woods and stuff to it. And little boy loved to ride his bike on their property. And in one of the places that he was working on cutting some trails to where he could ride his bike, there was a huge rock right in the middle. And so he decided, I've got to move that rock. And so the little boy's there, and I mean, he's pushing, he's tugging, he's pulling, he's trying everything he can think of, and he can't budge the rock. His dad walks out there, and he's standing there watching his son press and push and shove and pull and everything he can try to think of to move it. And and uh, father looks at his son and says, son, are you using all your strength? I just picture the kids sweating bullets, and he's trying, he's like, duh, dad. Son, I don't think you're using all your strength. He bows up and he tries, and he just can't budge it. Finally, he looks up and he says, Dad, would you help me with this? So he and his son get together, and pretty soon they get the rock out of the way. And the dad looks at his son and says, Son, when he asked me to help, that's when you were using all your strength. How often do we have some obstacle in our life? some battle we're facing, then we do everything we can on our own to figure it out, and we're sweating, and we want to get mad at God for not helping us. And don't you know that he's standing there saying, you know, I could help you with that. You're not using all your strength here. You're not using everything that you have access to. See, he wants to help us, and prayer is the key. Let's look at this heart, soul, mind, and strength. What if we prayed until God gave us a heart for him? What if we prayed until all of a sudden we prayed so much and we spent so much time in his presence that our soul actually began to long for him instead of it being this, this, this chore, instead of it being this discipline, all of a sudden we couldn't wait to get in his presence. What if we prayed until he, we could love him with all our mind because he actually begins to transform the way that we think? What does Scripture tell us? To be transformed by the renewing of our mind. What if we begin to, to pray about that strength until he blesses us with the strength to do exactly what he's laid on our heart to do, to keep going when there doesn't seem to be a way? Think about this. Jesus spent hours in prayer. How much more should we? Did you ever think about that? I mean, the Son of God, God in the flesh, that came and clothed himself in human flesh to come and be the sacrifice of us. Did you ever pay attention to how much he prayed? If he needs to, I think that's probably a pretty good indication we need to. Barna did some research. 85% of Americans claim to pray, but only 58% more than once a day. And the average prayer time for a Christian 
in the U.S. is around five minutes a day. No wonder we're not victorious. No wonder we're not walking in victory. No wonder that life is such a struggle. Did you notice this? And I'm trying to push through this because I want to get to a prayer time. I want you to notice something. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. We don't find anywhere in Scripture, Lord, teach us how to walk on water. Lord, teach us how to take a little boy's lunch and feed 5,000 plus people. Lord, teach us how to open blind eyes. No, we don't see anywhere that they came. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. You ever looked at Jesus' prayer life? I'm just going to hit it real quick. He prayed before sunrise. He prayed after others had gone to sleep. He prayed in the wilderness. He prayed the entire night before he began to pick his 12 disciples. He prayed at his baptism and heaven opened up and and God declared, this is my son in whom I well plead. He prayed so and he prayed also on the mountaintop where he was transfigured in front of some of his disciples. He prayed so intently on the night before he was arrested saying, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, nevertheless, your will, not mine. He even in that prayer prayed for those of us who would believe because of what he was about to do. He even prayed for those that crucified him. He was a praying Lord. So no wonder the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And when we do, guess what we need to do? Not only do we need to pray for our circumstances, we need to pray to bless others. Because there are people that are stuck with their situation and they see their circumstance and they see no hope and they're lost and they don't know the answers that we have. And we should be willing to go and enter, not only pray over our stuff, but go and intercede for them and pray, Lord, bless them. Lord, let them see the victory that's available for them. You know what our problem is? Our problem isn't unanswered prayer. Our problem is unasked prayer. We praise God. We talk, we sing about how he's all powerful and all knowing and omnipresent. And we think about all these things and we celebrate him and we talk about him. And then we sit out to do everything on our own. No wonder we get in a mess. We suffer from a debilitating case of self-sufficiency. Do we want God enough to ask him to come and to energize our soul? Do we want him enough to disturb our sleep? Do we want him enough to transform our lives and change the way we think? Do we want him enough to actually empower us for victory? Do we want him enough to walk in blessing so we can bless others? We, oh, we're good at praying now. I'll lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. But we need to pray, Lord, send power. Lord, send the victory. Lord, pour out your spirit. Acts 4.31. I love this. This is right on the heels of some of the disciples being arrested and being threatened not to speak anymore in that name. 
And they begin to, they begin to say, Lord, give us more boldness. They didn't cower down. They didn't hide. When the society and the culture around them begin to put the pressure on, you can't do that. You can't teach in that name. You can't talk like that. You can't pray like that. What did they do? They didn't cower down. They said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't. No, they went and they prayed and they said, Lord, give us more boldness. Give us more power. Then picking up at verse 31, it says, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Feel a little bit timid about sharing your faith? Pray for boldness. If we want the world to be shaken, we better pray more than five minutes a day. What would happen if God actually began to shake things up in our lives? You know, I love over the last couple of weeks, kind of, kind of, actually a little more than that, the kind of the stirring that is happening around here. God is up to something, He would do something. And you know what? And we have this habit of wanting to pray enough to get by, but not enough to get beyond. I think it's time we start praying beyond prayers. Because somebody has to lay claim to the unclaimed. See, the power to change our community, the power to change our state, the power to change our nation and our world. There are gifts and things that God wants to do that I believe many times are left unclaimed. Oh, God's work's going to get done. But how much better when he does it through us? I just wonder, what's it going to be like if we get to heaven? Well, you know, you remember that time that you, you were in this circumstance? Here was the miraculous victory that, that you never asked for. Still sitting here. You never claimed it. You never got on your face before me and asked me to intervene on that situation. Can you imagine those moments? We need to begin to get back to claiming victory. I mean, getting a hold of it. Because claiming victory is how we win. Isaiah 6, 8. I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. Don't you just get the picture of God going, kind of, well, we need to send somebody. Who are we going to send? Yeah, I've said that many times. Here am I, send them. We do that, don't we? Somebody needs to do something about that. And you kind of feel the Holy Spirit beginning to look and search, and you kind of like when you were in school and you didn't want to be called on. You know, I'm not making eye contact. I love Isaiah's response. Here am I. Send me. Imagine getting to heaven and realizing all the missed opportunities 
and all the missed blessings. I'm going to end with Judges 4, 8, and 9. Israel was having trouble with Caesarea, or Sisera, sorry. And there was a judge at the time by the name of Deborah, and it said that she used to sit under the tree, and people would come, and they would ask, and she would kind of share the Lord, of, the word of the Lord, and she would do these things, and and she called the guy by the name of Barak and, and asked him to come, and he came, and he said. And she basically said to him, God's going to give you victory. You're supposed to gather these men and go, even though they're a, they've got chariots and all these things that we don't have. And we're just tribes here because at this time, Israel didn't have a king. It was during the time of the judges and, and another word. But you assemble these people. God is going to give you victory over Caesar right, th- right then and there. If you'll go get the people and take them on right here, God's got it. Verse 8 and 9. And Barak said to her, I will, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you do not go with me, then I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. And then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Here's a guy that had his chance. You're chosen. You take the army. You go fight this battle. God's going to be with you. You're going to get the victory. And, and instead of him taking that on, he's like, oh, I'll go if you go. <laughs> she says, I'll go. But they're going to be talking about me, not you. I know that we don't do it for glory in that sense, but come on. Isn't it cool when God uses you to help win a victory? Trust me, it is. It is. It's one of the most glorious things. I mean, I, if I start telling stories of time, I mean, there are, there are babies in this world when parents came up and asked for prayer and they tried everything medically possible and nothing could happen. And we prayed and I felt the Holy Spirit's presence and in boldness in that moment, I declared, you will have a child. Now that, you better know God's speaking in those moments, Right? And they had a child. And when God fixed it, he fixed it because they got another child. (laughs) But it's cool when you get to be God's instrument that he uses. It's not us, but we get to be the conduit. When we lay one hand of God and lay one hand on the circumstance that he's called us to do and to be a part of. And we need to get back to being a people that lays claim to those victories. And when he speaks to us, we respond. what he wants to do. I'm going to ask for some music. I want to challenge you. There are victories to be won. And he's got them. 
And if it helps you, just picture a room with all the blessings and all the victories and all the unclaimed blessings that are sitting there that nobody's laid a hold of and he's looking for somebody. I want to give somebody this blessing. I want to give somebody this victory. There's I'm looking for that person that will step out and lay hold of it and claim it and walk in it. And there may be things you've been praying over your family. Lord, I need a victory in this area. There may be some financial situation. Lord, I need a victory in this area. There may be something with your marriage. Lord, I need a victory in this area. There may be some circumstance you see. Maybe somebody you love and you care for. And they're out there and they're wondering. And you see them floundering. And you see they can't seem to get through. And you're like, I know the answer. I know how to bring. If only they come through. And we need to just lay hold. We need to cry out to God. We need to get on our face before him and pray until he comes through and he answers those prayers because there are there are blessings there are victories to be claimed and we need to get back to the idea of you know I remember people talking about now our I, I don't know what they exactly what they mean about grabbing a hold of the horns of the altar now we don't have any horns on these altars but there's there's edges and you can grab a hold of those things and you can get on your face before God and you can say Lord I need answers and then when he speaks respond because he may say I am going to meet that I am going to move but here's what I need you to do and we need to be willing to step out in faith because for every time he moved in this book there was somebody it was chosen to be the vessel through which he moved. Trust me, I know. I, I'm amazed anytime he does something through me. But it's so cool when he does. And your answer's there. We've got to get back to being a people that when we set our hearts and minds on something, that we become hungry for him. And we say, you know what? You know what? There's, there's a tool we have in our belt that we never use. I know as soon as I say this, he's going to call me to do it, and I hate it. But it's called Fasting. Sometimes there are circumstances that we have to fast and pray. We have to get on our face for God and say, God, this is so big to me. This is so important to me. This is more important than me filling my belly. And if we will get hungry, if we will pursue him, if we will get on our face before him and say, Lord, you see this circumstance, whatever it is, and we begin to call out to him, be that persistent widow if you have to. Keep pressing in. Keep calling out. I'm not going to get the whole testimony. But a lot of you know that Kim was absolutely miraculously healed of asthma. She was on the highest dose of Advair that you can possibly prescribe just to function. She prayed and prayed and prayed and finally thought that it's never going to happen. And then one day God reminded her, you quit praying about that. Start asking me again. She had her day where the miracle came. 
got to throw the Advair in the trash can. And it was just giving her partial lung function. She can go to the doctor today, and when they do all the tests, like, you've got 100% lung function. Call out. Be persistent. Claim that blessing. I'll ask our prayer team to come to the front.